0: I hate this town I hate this fucking town I don't even want to be in this town I know I are to leave this town Couldn't take this down my dog You know this town must have run This fucking town We can leave this town I'm walking on the grass and I've never seen this town She's got dreams too big for this town We're guaranteed to run this town we're stuck in this
1: Hello, and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. I am, as always, Elaine. I'm Fletcher. And I'm Adam. And today we are talking about, well, first of all, what is this podcast? This podcast is a podcast in which we go chronologically to all of the records that have been tagged pop-punk or emo-pop on radio music and that charted on Billboard. For a while I was entertaining the idea of not talking about anything that charted, uh, you know, less than 100 on 200 best records of whatever. We didn't do that, and that's why today we're talking about Playmate of the Year by Zebrahead.
2: It's an interesting story, if nothing else. I can promise you that.
3: There's a story?
1: For some reason, my brain, when I said chronologically, was about to go into the OSW thing. We chronologically review wrestling in glorious <laughs> grapple vision. <laughs> <laughs> so i have to stop myself i will tag in a wrestler for this let's do it let's go (laughs) Uh, so this is my usual question This this episode has been becoming more and more formulaic did anyone have any experience with this band beforehand
3: what's a band
1: i think all three of us did without knowing it oh well interesting yeah Okay, we'll get there. I think I've heard them somewhere. I remember the name and I remember like one of their singles. I don't, don't recollect what I heard from them.
3: Yeah, I've definitely heard one of their songs, but I forgot to put which one sounded familiar in my notes. So we'll get there, I guess.
1: Oh, well. Yeah. And so, as with every episode, especially as with every episode in which we talk about a new band that we haven't talked about before, we should go into where do they come from?
3: Where did they come from? Where did they go? Where did they come from? Zebrahead Joe.
1: to Get Out of This Town presents The History of Zebrahead, as researched by Fletch today.
2: Yep. This one was interesting because they don't have a very large English-speaking fan base. Or at least they didn't in this era of their careers. Australia would find them around the 2010s and around 2006 after their first lineup changed they pick up a little more, but they were formed in La Habra, California, at the tail end of 1995 by four men who came from three other bands. Greg Bergdorf, the guitarist, formerly of 409. Ed Udhus, not a fake name somehow, drummer, also formerly of 409. Ben Osmundson, the bassist of 3ply. And Justin Moriello, the vocalist and guitarist from Once There and Later when he leaves the band of Darling Thieves. Fun fact, La Habra is part of California's Orange County, which you've heard me disdainful of many times.
3: Oh boy.
2: And it's the city that is more famous for one of its other exports, the Octomom, than Zebrahead. They are the city credited as cultivating the Haas Avocado, now planted worldwide, which they showed their love for by allowing the tree that founded this to succumb to root rot in the 2000s. Lovely folks. Fuckers. Huh. Um, what is the Octomom? The Octomom is a woman who had eight babies. At once. And then leveraged that into a career in pornography. Oh, dear. Because she didn't have any other skills than having eight babies, but they could sell Watch the Octomom Get Railed. Oh. Yes. She ranked higher on La Habra's uh, research page than Zebrahead did.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I mean, um are are you a fan of the OC the TV show, Fletch? The only
2: thing I know about it is much you say and all the
1: jokes about it. Yeah, no. The same really. I, I just figured I'd ask because you have opinions on the actual Lauren County.
3: I know my stepmom really likes it. <laughs> okay.
1: It's one of those shows that
2: much like 30-something, was very big for a cultural moment and then left no footprint whatsoever.
3: Except for the memes.
2: Yeah, but how many people would hear that meme and go, oh, that's from the OC and not just, oh, the meme song?
1: Yeah, yeah, that is fair. I don't think, like, I don't think the DOC in itself remained in culture. The meme remained.
3: That's fair.
1: So, as evidenced by all of them coming from other bands, these people were a bit older than you would expect, being mostly in their 20s when they met up. All four shared the same local practice space and you know, knew each other, became friends with each other, and eventually they formed Zebrahead, because that's what you do with people in the 90s. You meet people and then you form a band. As it should be. The internet wasn't invented yet at the time, it was, but it wasn't. So that's what you do for fun. You form a band. Or you have sex, but I don't think, you know... Probably not with four turned five men. Yeah. Also, given given their songs, I think they are very frustrated by not having sex, which leads you to, to make a punk band. Sort of how it goes. <clears throat> it's true. They will fold in a fifth member, eventually, rapper Ali Tabatabai, who apparently you have literally heard in Sonic the Hedgehog, since he was the vocalist on his word. Yeah, the theme
2: song for Sonic 2006 was two members of Zebrahead. Amazing. Yep. Shock. I don't think it will surprise anyone to learn these guys have a major Japanese fan base. Yeah, that, that tracks.
3: Double shock.
2: Their career is pretty quick from here on out because again, not a lot of interviews to go on. There's a self-titled album they release via indie label Doctor Dream. This is Kind of weird, and what tipped me off that a lot of the English materials about this band were not well kept. Dr. Dream had been absorbed by Mercury the year prior, but everyone still credits their 1998 album to this label.
3: Surprise. Dr. Dream lives on. Undead.
2: Later that year, they would have a public debut album, Waste of Mind, as part of their deal with Columbia. And then we're here, Playmate of the Year, in August 2000. I shouldn't speed past this. Waste of Mind contains, according to incorrect sources, the only time Zebra had ever charted on the U.S. Billboard charts. This is wrong. This is only true of singles. Their albums will hit a few times. But they had the single
1: Get Back. The chart, Doctor, arrives here. Uh, The only record that charted on the 200 records chart if this one, none of their other records charted on the 200 records chart, everything else probably charted on like Hit Seeker or alternative songs, I would guess.
2: Yeah, alternative they were on multiple times, but some people just claimed Get Back was the only time they were ever on the Billboard charts, and that's very wrong. Oh yeah, no, that's wrong. The band's career is nearly nothing in the United States, and research into this tells me that On multiple occasions in the past decade, they would just cancel U.S. tours due to lack of interest, then go play around in Europe and Japan for a while.
0: Hmm.
2: Sounds correct. Yeah. They basically just occasionally go, hey, let's do some shows in California since we're local, and then go worldwide again.
1: Hmm. Yeah, makes sense.
2: Uh, Interestingly enough, while their Dr. Dream-era album is long out of print and buried, The band did re-record a selection of tracks from that and this era of their music years ago, releasing it as The Early Years Revisited. Some of it comes off as a parallel evolution to Rage Against the Machine, with rap flow vocals over aggressive guitar and drums, and others sound more like P.O.D., with a more light guitar sound focused on riffs and ballad-like vocals. Probably somewhat inspired by the fact that their producer on this and a few other albums is the guy who worked with POD.
0: Well, that
3: would do it.
2: I started looking into who was doing the production too. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Is this record before or after Linkin Park? This one is
1: roughly contemporary with Hybrid Theory. Okay, that's very interesting. They, yeah, the, we haven't mentioned this because we haven't talked about their music le- yet. They are way more like they have a base in pop punk, but they are sort of new metalish. They have a lot of rap on on their stuff, uh, a lot of guitars clearly. This in the album that I listen to a lot of guitars taken from you know stuff like you mentioned POD. Some of that sounds slightly like a hornier Linkin Park, which is not a sentence that I would thought I would ever say, but.
3: Honestly, and it, they sound a little bit like if you replaced uh, um, the lyricist for Linkin Park with a clown. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're not wrong.
3: I don't say that to be mean.
2: <laughs> I bounced around their career a little in the research. This is the most... New metal they sounded on any album I listened to. I confess I only cherry-picked some of the later stuff. But they start to sound like bad MXPX on a few things, especially the all-female vocalist cover
0: album.
1: Hmm, interesting. I did listen to, and we'll get to that, their cover of uh, Ready, Steady, Go by Lark Danciel. Hey, I mentioned that at the very end. I'm glad that you found it, too. Yeah, I just, like... Wow.
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs> Again, Japanese fanbase.
1: They started playing toward the hits. Was that before your time,
2: Adam?
3: What was what before my time?
1: Original Fullmetal Alchemist? Uh. Ready, Steady, Go, the opening to that?
3: Yeah. I mean, I've seen that, but I couldn't place the opening. If you had a gun to my head, so...
1: <laughs> that is fair. That is something that I watched as a teenager, so I assumed it was sort of before your time. That song was also the final boss of Osu Take Owenden. Oh, right! Yeah.
3: Also before my time, presumably.
1: Uh if you... Or, or you didn't have a DS at the time. Yeah, every time I think about when the original Wendan, the um, iconic song for me is Loop and Loop, which is one of the early ones. But yeah, that ready set, steady go with, uh, at the end
3: yeah I didn't have a DS until like the mid 2010s yo <laughs>
2: yeah
1: gotcha yeah and it was an import title too so yeah Elite Beat Agent rings a bell the American version nope okay damn I'm building this
0: stuff like a high rise,
2: But with that, we are at 2000, and as I've already said, it's incredibly hard to find a lot of discussion of this era of their history. The majority of Zebrahead's fandom or reporting on them is in languages I don't have the strongest grasp of, and most of where they start showing up in the media is for their work directly after this, when they change lineup around 2005. Moreover, the easily found sources for this era are rife with inaccuracies. Wikipedia claims this is their final Columbia Records album. They will
1: have another EP and album over the next three years. Spotify claims this record came out in 2001. That is not correct. Yeah, I don't even think that's correct internationally.
3: Who did they get rid of that made them uh, uh, made Americans like them more? Or English-speaking people like them more. Hmm. Like if they had to change their lineup, who'd they get rid of?
2: Um, I will cover it in the after stuff since I basically go over everything that comes after, but. The non-rap vocalist leaves and has his own solo career.
3: I see. Interesting.
2: The only interesting thing I found about this period of the band is Tabata Bai is diagnosed with and later conquers Hodgkin's disease while they're on the Warp Tour and prepping for this album. As a result, he said a few of the sessions and tracks off this album are very special to him, but did not specify which.
1: Hmm. I don't think that none of, none of the songs, like, I don't know. None of the songs on this record feel like they come from a very emotional place. But what you, what you gonna know? No, this this is incredibly bro Yeah.
3: I mean, some people cope with humor, I guess.
2: Multiple singles off this album were released in Japan, and some got limited US airplay, read a DJ heard it, but nobody at the label gave it any promotional push. And as we've already covered, not a lot of English speakers have enough passion to correct the inaccuracies in their history. The U.S. single was the title track Playmate of the Year, with a video that starred some legitimate Playboy centerfolds. That's also who the woman on the album is, the 2000 Playmate of the Year. I forget her name because I'm terrible at this. I apologize. But there was a video for this that starred some legitimate Playboy centerfolds and Hugh Hefner and it did come in an uncensored version that, as far as I can tell, was only released as part of a Playboy yearly subscriber bonus VHS. The bonus was breasts.
1: In the ranking of um, Playboy-related videos, the Zebrahead or wither, Who wins out? Zebrahead. Okay,
2: <laughs> cool. I can give way more credit to a Playboy tie-in in 2000 than in 2015, because your son is wanting to get in on Hugh Hefner, who is dying. um, Uh, What? Interesting. That's what Beverly Hills was about. That whole thing, like, a lot of the video choices around that era of Weezer are because of Cuomo's son. He wanted to meet the Muppets. He wanted to go to the Playboy Mansion. Huh. Yeah. Okay.
3: I, I don't have words.
2: And again... Playboy was a brand that had a lot more cultural cachet in 2000 than around 2014, 2015, where it's just like, oh, Hugh is on the way out. Yeah. Globally, Now or Never got a Japanese push and a bonus track not on the US release of the album, Deck the Halls, I Hate Christmas, would be the first thing that got a push over Playmate of the Year as the lead single. Already the band is starting to just lose the West completely. Did they ever had the West? They were in the singles charts with their last album. Briefly. Their album wasn't in the album charts, though. That one came out around 98, which was earlier than we looked.
1: No, their album is generally not in the album chart. I did a general search for uh, the album chart for them. Oh, okay. Huh. They only charted with a single. And we haven't covered the single because... Many inaccuracies. They were before us, but yeah, the album that the album where that single was from didn't actually charted.
3: In the US.
1: In the US. Right. Possibly anywhere, looking into it, but...
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Sometime during the recording of this album, they all put together a cover of the Spice Girls' Wannabe, but it doesn't see the light of day until 2004 as part of a B-Sides album. It is incredibly bad in that it's one of those covers that half-asses the lyrics and turns it into self-promotion. Uh, the big part is, within the first 30 seconds, you hear, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna really, really, really wanna zebrahead head jam! And it's like, <laughs> Okay, Why?
3: well, I think I've had enough for today already. You guys can do the podcast without me.
2: <laughs> you didn't listen to their all-female vocalist cover album, Panty Raid, which I did.
3: You know, that's fair. I guess I'll stay on for the rest of the podcast.
2: Also, that album does not have this version of Wannabe in most markets. So they're clearly kind of ashamed of that one. But they will put on covers of Beyonce, multiple Gwen Stefani tracks. And weirdly, girls just want to have fun.
1: Huh. It doesn't sound amazing. I, I vaguely... I vaguely hate the ironic punk cover of, like, rap and R&B songs. <laughs> I think they're vaguely gross. They've
2: become incredibly cacophonous in their later tracks. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of people, after they change lineups, they lean in harder on the metal side
1: of things than the pop punk. Oh, okay. This is kind of a turning point for them with this album. That that makes sense. I was just thinking of like you know even aside from from like punk specifically, I was thinking like the wor- we mentioned Weezer like the worst worst offense on the cover album they did was that awful cover of No Scrubs. No Scrub. Okay, yeah. so I've
2: actually never looked at what was on that album because that was so far into the phase where it's like I don't want to hear Weezer. Let me look up what was covered on this album.
1: Eee, okay.
2: Good luck. This is gonna be fun. The Teal album? Fuck off. Yep. Oh my god, they all look like Yacht Rock band members on this album cover. Haha. <laughs> okay. Okay, let's see here. I hated that Africa cover. Annie Lennox, fuck you! Black. Se- wow, this is a lineup of things that I do not imagine sound good.
1: Wow, <laughs> none of this record sounds good. Uh, but again, the biggest offense I think is that that no Scrubs cover because like they, it's clearly like the white rock band ironically covers like a rap song or an R&B song, and it's just like.
2: Ugh. The three I was thinking would be the worst on this were, yeah, No Scrubs, Paranoid by Black Sabbath, or I'd probably get angriest at Sweet Dreams are made of this.
1: Yeah. Their the Billie Jean version is also pretty bad.
2: I did also discover the other day that they did a cover at some point of one of my favorite songs of all time, and I don't want to hear that. Which is uh, Talk Talk's
1: Life's What You Make It. Anyhow, this is pretty much all of the background that there is about Zebrahead. Shall we go into talking about Playmate of the Year, the record? Let's do it with the single I Am. What the fuck, what
0: the fuck is going on? Let me set it straight all the time, going on the top,
1: Is it a single? Oh, I guess it's a Japan single. I guess the track, but this starts with an interesting sound. This starts with Linkin Park guitars.
2: Yeah.
3: I did like that part.
2: It becomes a sonic cacophony real quick, but it's distinct in that I don't think we've heard anything like this yet.
1: Yeah, no, well, there was some Linkin Park guitar in the last record that we talked about. Yeah, this has... Some rapping, you know, the rapping could be worse. I think it's just fairly juvenile, but what you gonna do? This was the time. I didn't realize this until later in the album, but I want to pitch
2: this now. Do you think that a large reason they might have been so successful in Japan is that the incredibly weird scansion on the rapper's vocals sounds like Japanese hip
1: hop? Ha! I cannot confirm it or deny it, but that's an interesting theory and it sort of makes sense. I have a limited exposure to it through
2: various projects, but what I have heard sounds incredibly like this era of Zebrahead. And I think that would explain a lot about what gave them that appeal internationally, but not in the West.
1: I listen to a lot of Japanese hip-hop, but the problem is that I listen to a lot of, like, recent stuff, which is, like, very mellow and, like, chill, which doesn't really fit with this thing. But I, I, I could see it. The few I have dealt with, especially
2: very energetic performances, come off a lot like this. Especially the, I need to keep my flow moving really quick because I'm not doing this, except it's, a, uh, And it's very... Yeah. I'm reading this phonetically, which means it all flows
1: together. Anyhow, this song is sort of like an introduction to the style, which blends again that kind of new metal rap rock sound with like a very pop punky chorus. It it's fine. I don't hate it. I don't hate it, but I don't enjoy it.
3: Yeah, that's lyrically. There's nothing there. I don't think.
1: <laughs> Look, we've mentioned that our bar at the moment is pretty low. I didn't hate listening to the song. <laughs>
2: I will firmly put this record in the middle of what we've covered. And I think the big X factor that could have raised it or lowered it is the fact that so much of the lyrical performance on this album is mixed and delivered strangely to the point that I would not know what half of what was being said is if Genius didn't exist.
3: Yeah, and reading along the Genius while you're and you're like, what? you squished those words beyond comfort apprehension why
2: also the middle minute of this track is just way too many instruments and
1: filters and sounds
3: oh i liked that
2: part
1: there's a lot of like production i'm not saying that there's a lot of good production but there's a lot of production in this record (laughs) there is a lot of it yes i'll surprise you with the producer later
0: oh boy
2: is the title track Playmate of the Year. The big single. This was an international hit for what it's worth, according to some of the research. As in, it went big in Europe, it did get a lot of airplay in the US,
1: and, of course, Japan. Yeah. This is the least rap-oriented song of the record, if I am correct. It starts with some Blink guitars. It has more of a pop punky vibes.
2: Did like the guitar. It is more pop punk, but I think it's more rap rock lit. Huh. That's a sentence that I didn't want to hear ever. <laughs> You're gonna hate when I describe the guitar lick on this track, which I loathe, as the audio equivalent of bleach tips,
1: then. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. yeah no.
3: I can visualize that quite well. My thing is that apparently the playmate of the year thing is like a playboy thing and i didn't know that until our conversation that we've been having so i'm just like gotta go back and look at this song through a different lens now i guess
2: yeah yeah multiple women in the video were playmates and hugh hefner is the weird old guy in the robe who's zombie shaking hands with one of the band members at one point
1: yeah so this song is literally a node to like playboy and masturbating yep which, which is fine my problem is this should be more like this should be like filthier like this is awfully just bland and like
3: teehee peepee that's basically the tone of the song they're just going teehee peepee
2: yeah yeah that's the second worst lyric on the album for me she doesn't care about my hair, my car, my tiny pee-pee in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. this
3: This get really gives off uh, some incredibly, like, juvenile vibes to it. Which, given the apparent subject matter, hmm, I'm not a fan. Yeah,
1: the tune is fine. It's like a melodic single. It's fine. No, I don't hate it. It doesn't have that strong of a chorus, but yeah, I am mainly like. If you want to do this, if you want to do an ode to your masturbation sessions, make it! Don't just like hold, like, make this bland middle of the road sort of thing. Make it filthy! Come on! To say just how unloved this band is in the
2: West, by the way, this song is on. The Dude Wears My Car soundtrack and nothing on anything I looked up discussed that. I only just found it because this track on Genius has that album cover. It's just wild that these guys were in a major comedy soundtrack and nowhere in any of the materials did anyone think, oh, that's worth mentioning. No. Yeah. Second most forgettable track on the album.
3: Oh, boy. Uh, I don't
1: know. I, don't, I think it's one of the catchier on it. I don't hate it.
3: I think I really liked the guitar on this song. I can't
1: stand the guitar lick on this. <laughs> I'm gonna make it milky clear is just like a weird sentence. Just talk about cum if you want to talk about cum. Don't gonna make it milky clear. It's not a good joke. It's not not even a joke. It's not a good innuendo. Just say that you're coming. Yeah. That would make the song more interesting.
2: That's definitely one of the lyrics that leaves me going um this is very strange for a group of nearly 30 year old men
3: yes see if this was a group of 1920 somethings i'd be like oh yeah i can see like haha it's it's kind of funny i guess but uh bro (laughs) you're
2: 30 yeah they're 22 to 25 when the band comes together and this is a few years in Even Blink-182 covered sex with a little more maturity than my pee-pee and milky clear.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. So, now or never...
2: This is a Limp Bizkit B-Side. Yeah. Replace running with rolling. Tell me I'm wrong.
1: Oh, I forgot to, to mention that in the... Um, they do reference Limp get in the first song. They say they, they did it for the Nuki. Remember that song? Nuki?
2: It was awful. They reference a lot of people in the first song. You know, when you want to be rapping about Shaq and Chris Tucker and, uh... Steve Buscemi and Fargo.
1: Anyhow, Now or Never has this very uh, alt rock, radio rock guitar that is very melodic, and then it goes into rap. This one is straight up a rap track. Yeah, it still has like this very, like, of the time radio, pop punk, rock chorus. I actually like this better than anything that Blink Biscuit has ever done. I don't love it. I think. The the chorus is catchy. I don't think you have to say that with any shame. <laughs> <laughs> mixing rap and pop punk is more interesting to me than mixing rap and like full metal. But yeah, there's nothing to write home about here. It's a fine track. I think getting a
2: DJ or a rapper in your band can give you an edge in your sound and there are groups who you've heard that work with. Linkin Park broke out because it was uh, a pretty good DJ added into a middle-of-the-road band, but it also didn't hurt that they had artists who were willing to go, what's what's some experiments we can do? We're going to do a remix album, and someone is going to do slow ballad covers of our tracks, or we're just going to put this whole song in reverse with Scratching, or let's do a Freestyle yeah. You will never hear decisions like that from Zebrahead. No, they
1: know their niche, and they know how to play to it.
3: And it's in Japan.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that it's probably like teens, but no, the actual niche is Sonic the Hedgehog fans. And later on, they will be replaced by Hubastank. <laughs> that still <laughs> happened. Honestly, that's a downgrade. I'd rather listen to a Zebrahead record than a Hubastank one. <laughs> but would you rather
2: listen to the vocalist from Hubastank singing the theme of Sonic Forces than
1: in his world? Yeah, I don't know. See? I'm convinced. Do you, do you think they never had any kind of success in the US because they were sort of like, you know, middle of the road of a bunch of genre, but never quite, you know, fit in any of them? like this is too not angsty for like the kind of pod new metal this is like too juvenile like too like unfilty to like you know just like save for the people who listen to link biscuit Uh, the people who listen to pop punk probably weren't super into having the rap parts in it and of course no one who actually likes rap would ever listen to this record Because it's not that good. The red thing is not great. So do you think that was the problem with Zebrahead? They just like did a bunch of stuff badly so no one really liked them? Yeah, I very
2: much think this is a group who washed out in the West because they were trying too many different things and Did not really have their legs under them in any of it. You're right. Yeah. This was the era where you had three distinct styles of music fighting it out for MTV Airplay. You had the pop, which was at this point the very aggressive, hyper-engineered female vocalists versus boy bands. You had rock, which was leaning heavily into new metal, but pop punk was coming up on the back end and those two were not really groups that meshed well, even though they had similar elements. And then, yeah, hip-hop and gangster rap was fading at this point. You were getting into R&B and hip-hop and the more publicly palatable version of a lot of that. And every week, the pop was generally going to win, but everyone else was calling in and trying to fight out who got
1: to take second place. I want to play that version of Fire Emblem: The Three Houses. Huh?
2: Seems like it would be more up
1: my alley. Hmm. Are you the pop punk house, the rap house, or the pop house? I have no idea which house I would be in out of those three. I mean, we we do have a podcast about pop punk,
3: which makes me certain that I would not be in the pop punk one.
1: Oh come on! Don't you want to have like Tom the Lounge as a as a student that you can romance in the game? Ugh. <laughs>
3: I think that you just shaved a couple years off my life by making me hear that.
2: I'm trying to imagine his support conversations and I can't think of any of them not involving the word wee-wee. <laughs> come on. Come on. You could say it. P- 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 penis! <laughs> yes, there you go. That's good.
1: Good. Congrats. You can graduate now. You're a big boy. You are hired as a writer, Fletch, on this project.
3: <laughs> I... Oh have never heard or, like, really had the word weenie be used in any context other than roasting weenies, as in hot dogs over a fire. So (laughs) anytime someone tries to make penis jokes that way, I'm just kind of like, hmm, okay then.
1: (laughs) Oh, not roasting weenies as in, like, (laughs) insulting repeatedly someone's (laughs) penis?
3: Uh, I'll leave the fetishists to that. Also, I'm pretty sure that they talk about that on this album somewhere.
1: Mm, yeah, no, you're correct.
2: Probably, yeah. And that's sort of why I wonder if the reason they were big in foreign markets is because their different sound, without anyone having to understand the delivery or lyrics, just seems like, oh, I like the way this feels. This is good ear feel.
3: It does have a good ear feel sometimes. I will admit.
2: It's the same thing that pushed a lot of older rock groups from foreign markets. Golden Earring's lyrics, with the exception of Twilight Zone, are nothing special. They're actually quite weird, but the delivery by a bizarre Eastern European dude who doesn't have the best grasp of English makes them
1: very memorable. The next song is wasted. radio-friendly. I don't know, was this a single in some markets? Nope. This is a song made for the radio. It sounds like it's very melodic and it's sort of mel- melancholic and it, it sort of sounds like something that would be in Sonic the Hedgehog. It's kind
2: of the closest to a breakup song on this album? Oh no, there's a literal breakup song later. Oh, Subtract You, Right. This is one of my bottom tracks
1: on the album, and part of that is the Easter egg stapled onto it. Yep. Oh, yeah, no, all of the skits and Easter eggs around this record, there are a couple, are pretty bad and not funny. They're not offensive, they're just like bad. Yeah,
3: that's what I was thinking. It's like, it's not like, oh, that's not funny because it's offensive to me. It's like, oh, that's not funny in the same way that, like, Wet paper mache paste isn't very funny.
2: And the actual demo tracks aren't a whole track. It's 15 to 30 seconds of what's clearly a scrapped recording just thrown at the end of certain songs with no notation. Yeah. Uh, This one is the very generic... Sort of punkier track, it's just like, and some lyrics that are kind of inaudible because it's at a lower quality.
1: Yeah, it's a radio track. It has like this cool tune that is pleasant when you listen to it, and you will not remember it after you turn off the radio. Again, it's difficult for me to hate anything on this record. I think everything is just like, okay, this is is another song that it's okay. Next track, I'm money. I think I'm Money was fairly funny. Um, this track is just very repetitive to me. It is. I like the fundamental joke that it's like someone really bragging about like how cool they are and how much money they are. And then the chorus is just like, oh, everyone wants to stay away from me. I guess it's because they're intimidated.
3: Yes, intimidated. That sure is the right word.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good joke. I think it works. I don't think I want to listen to four minutes of it, but I feel think the first, the first verse and the first chorus work
2: up to a really good joke. Following up on a thing we said last week on one track, this is
1: the rap version of "Pretty Fly for a White Guy." Yeah, yeah. I, I think I like this better than "Pretty Fly for a White Guy" at least lyrically because it's specifically about like someone who has a lot of money being a dick. Like I'm 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 okay for roasting rich people. I'll light Elon Musk on fire right now. Five bucks.
3: <laughs> five bucks? You're going five to, bucks. to try and profit off of heroism?
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I'll pay you five <laughs> bucks for access.
3: Ah, I see. That's valid.
2: This this track made me curious. Is bad hip-hop worse than bad punk? I mean, this record is boot. Which one gets under your skin more? Because this record irritated me a lot more than most of what we covered. And I think it's because it's incredibly sloppy hip-hop.
3: Yeah. I think that uh, the difference is that, like, bad pop-punk, like, pop-punk can only get to a certain level of good. Whereas I think that there is some really genuinely very good hip-hop out there in the world. So when you hear bad hip-hop, you're just kind of like, oh... The difference is so big.
1: I like that. I disagree with that statement. I think pop punk can be really good. Let me let me present you with Brave Faces Everyone, of which I already talked in this.
3: Okay, in the era that we are talking about, so far, have we heard some really good pop punk.
1: Let me present you with uh, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by the chem- My Chemical Romance. Have
3: we gotten there yet? No. <laughs>
1: No? Okay, that's fair. Okay, so in this specific year, in the year of 2000, pop-punk can get only so good. Cool.
2: I think that's that's a good argument. Pop-punk is a much fresher sound at this point, and we don't have the standards for it we expect of something that's gotten mm, going on 30, 40 years of development as a genre.
3: Exactly. So when we hear about hip-hop, it's just kind of like, really, man? Like, you've got people you can learn off of. (laughs)
2: I can see that. I like that. That's a very good way to think of this, and
1: that might be a lot of why this album gets under my skin more. I mostly, like, cannot listen to a lot of lyrics on this record, so that's probably, like, you know, I had to look that up because I don't quite. They don't quite, like, pass my foreign brain. Ellie, I also had to look them up, and I'm a native speaker who enjoys a lot of hip hop.
3: I didn't even try. I was just like, okay, I'm going to start this off looking at the lyrics because I need to start doing that for this podcast. Oh, I picked the wrong album to start. Okay, cool.
2: <laughs> but next up after I'm Money, which very divisive song, did not expect that. Go. Go. <laughs>
1: About the Pokemons?
2: No.
3: I don't remember the song.
2: This is the one that feels like to me they glued different pieces back together after it fell out of their hands. The guitar doesn't match the drums, doesn't match the vocals, and then it all comes together at the chorus and then it goes back to being
1: mixed up. There are some very. the Get Up Kid synth that are all over this record. I I think they were listening to the Get Up kids around this time, because their synth work is very the Get Up kids.
2: There's a lot of synth on here, but when it goes wrong, it goes wrong. And I think that comes down to the producer. Rip. I made this note a couple tracks later, but the producer on this is uh, Howard Benson. You might know him from a lot of different things he worked on, like he was working with. Crazy Town, Less Than Jake, POD. Uh, that's one of that, that's one of my dude, one of their songs sounds like Crazy Town. <laughs> yeah. Cold, Hubastank, Adema, Mark Ronson, Papa Roach, The All-American Rejects. Oh, also, he is credited on The Passion of the Christ songs and album.
1: This is War Criminal. We are talking about War Criminal
2: here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, your favorite puddle of mud is down this page i'm scrolling through
1: again if this guy in jail he should be uh... i am not i don't i don't go lightly with the crimes on music thing i think it's over overdone by internet commenters but no this guy has committed crimes against music he is still working to this day with diamante
2: featuring breaking benjamin and 3 days grace
3: 3 days grace is still alive <laughs>
2: Yeah, and they just put out a single with the help of one Howard Benson.
1: <laughs> Anyhow, know you funny. know what opened my eyes, Fletch? That you mentioned that this guys did the uh, Sonic O six soundtrack because Go also sounds like a Sonic track. The chorus of this song is extremely Sonic theme. Yes, it's it's not bad. I think the car. Like I, I agree with you that most of the song is pretty crappy. I think the chorus is very good. It's very energetic. But I think I like it because it sounds like a song that would be on Sonic. On a Sonic game. I think the chorus works on this track. I think everything
2: else is incredibly broken. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Funny. I liked everything that was going on in the background, as train wrecky as it was, whereas like the actual uh singing part of it, I was just kinda like, eh.
1: Not not a Sonic the Hedgehog fan?
3: My only experience with Sonic is, like, the really old stuff that I got in, like, a treasury disc as a kid, so I don't know what any of the music sounds like for the newer stuff.
1: That is fair. What is the theme song for Sonic Colors, Reach for the Star? I like that one. Um... I don't know if that had a vocal theme. It did. It was Reach for the Stars. It was not by Crash 40 or whatever. Feel free to listen to it. I think it's pretty good. I'm just trying to find it. Oh! Okay, Uh,
2: that is yet another case where they had a Western band uh, perform it with John Paul McClouf from the American band Cash Cash and his brother Alex. I don't know who Cash Cash is. I think that song is pretty good. It's it's a decent track, but uh, I think it says a lot that they are an American electronic band from New Jersey, consisting of three DJ brothers. Fun. So they are literally bros. I was going to say they're literally Sonic, Shadow, and Silver, but yours works too.
3: Which one's the evil one? Shadow. I meant added the people. John, Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's
1: John. Definitely looking at these three. <laughs> also, the more important question, tag yourself. Are you Sonic, Shadow, or Silver? Silver. You asked. Okay. Adam? I guess
3: I'll be Shadow. I'm evil. I
1: mean, no, you're more of a Sonic. I'm, like, a fucking, like, brooding, like, edgelord.
3: I have dibs on Shadow, sorry. No takebacks.
1: Oh, no. I'm not, I'm very much not Sonic, though. I will
2: 1000% argue that Silver is not the worst part of 06, and if he had debuted in any other game, they would have used that character in his own spinoff that was
1: just a very different thing by now. But no, they put him in the cursed title. Rip. I'll admit, I'll admit that I have never played Sonic Six. That was very early in the consoles' lifetimes, um, I've always been too poor to afford consoles when they come out. Nude. I have played it to
2: 100% completion with the very hard DLC.
3: Fletcher, you okay?
2: <laughs> I think that game is better than the Sonic Adventure games. I think the Sonic Adventures games are not really good, so... Yes! And Sonic 06 is broken in a learnable way. It is broken. It has very big flaws, but most of them are load times, and the physics are learnable.
1: If you put in a little effort, they're not human physics, but you can control them. This is what the Tulu cultist said before getting eaten by the giant squid. <laughs> This is absolutely the kind of thing that explains why I'm on a
2: pop-punk podcast despite hating the genre. What? No. I can learn the ways of this music. I will dive into its waters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, my chemical romance.
3: And then we all get eaten by the uh, pop-punk Kraken, which is... What's our most hated band right now?
1: Uh, Take your pick between... Phoenix T X and SR seventy one. Okay. Yeah, is it bland or bad?
3: By uh Phoenix uh R71.
1: <laughs> Phoenix TX seventy one. There. Yes. mm
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, Do we want to talk about how Zebrahead is actually woke?
3: I I do not think we can say that.
1: <laughs> Zebrahead is woke. Zebrahead is woke. I wanna zebra hear this head is woke. I wanna hear
2: this because nothing I really discovered said this but given their backstory and the composition of the band i
1: could see the argument hit me i mean i'm just talking about their next song what's going on gotcha
3: That's like the bare minimum of not sleeping,
2: Ellie. <laughs> I will put this. I will give you this. This is Porky's 2 level woke.
3: What does that mean?
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's a serious statement because Porky's 2, a lot of people forget, is the sequel to the dog comedy from the 70s where the Porky's game literally fight
1: neo-Nazis in
2: their town.
0: Hmm.
1: Yes. I don't think Adam knows what Porky's is.
3: I have no fucking idea what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to pull up the actual direct description of this that you will find. Okie doke. The Angel Beach High School Drama Club is producing a Shakespeare festival where the characters of the first film are participating. A religious leader named Bubba Plavell wants to halt the production because his group, The Righteous Flock, thinks Shakespeare is indecent and profane, and Plavell recruits the support of the local Ku Klux Klan chapter, informing them that the festival will feature an interracial kiss, with Romeo and Juliet being a black and white student. So, instead... The students try getting the help of the officials in town, where the county commissioner goes, if you get me a date with the 17-year-old Juliet, I'll do it. And they decide, oh, how about fuck you all, and we're going to take on the mayor, the commissioner, and the clan.
3: I mean, that does, that does, that does sound better than uh, just being like, oh yeah, sure, you can date the girl.
2: So, Porky's is not... Amazing. Like Porky's 2 is not amazing in a 2020 lens, but especially for the era, Porky's 2 is wildly woke. <laughs> Porky and vabrahead officially woke.
3: I see. All right. Cool.
2: Anyhow, yeah, this is their message song. But uh, speaking of talking about underage, for example, this girl is pretty fly for a white gal. And all the guys want her, though. She's a juvenile. She's really kind of sad and just don't care because the only one she wants is her best friend, Claire. Cool. So we have jailbait and homophobia and the pressures of being a teenager all in one set of lyrics. That's what we're working with.
1: Why is it homophobic? I don't think it is.
3: It's it's addressing the homophobia.
2: No, no, no. I'm saying that's what they're confronting. She She's depressed and doesn't care about any of the people who are into her because she wants a girl who will not I'm, I'm just saying this. This is them trying to do a deep song, except they're going way too hard out the other end.
3: <laughs> they, they, they tried.
1: I, I'm not saying it's good, but Zebrahead is officially woke. Just think that. And this is. I'm pretty sure
2: I I would have to double check. The only time you're going to hear the word rape on this album, so that's great. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like I I really mean that's
1: actually kind of great, even if it's unpleasant.
3: Yeah, I mean... Well,
1: I mean, they use the word rape in the context of rape statistics at the end of the song, so...
3: Also, they're using it in a negative way, isn't that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great!
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that's that's an amazing thing. I'm just saying that in the middle of a pop-punk album, I would just like to not go down that route, thanks.
1: Yeah, no... So I here, here's the thing, I wasn't listening, the reason why I sort of focused on this song is because I wasn't listening to the lyrics, and then, like, the ending part with the rape statistics came on, and I had to check the lyrics to check that this wasn't awful. And it wasn't. It was about, like, you know, things are bad. We're gonna say that things are bad, that bad things are bad.
3: Gold star for them. Here's my thing. So we're in the middle of this album, like... Almost exactly. So you've got joke song, funny joke, funny joke, funny joke, funny joke, (laughs) rape statistics. Funny joke, funny joke, funny joke, funny joke. It just, I appreciate that they're trying to do something good here, but it doesn't vibe well with the rest of the album. It is also not something I needed out of the blue in the middle of my Sunday.
1: That is fair. Also, like the next song is not also a funny joke. Do we want to talk about the next song? Yeah. The next song is Subtract You. We declared Zebra had to be woke on the left track. Uh, this is where they stopped being woke. This
2: is the one that made me look up who the producer was because this, the sound at the start and end of this track, it's so viscerally unpleasant to me. Like, it sounds like someone mastered clipping into an instrument.
1: I don't think this is even, like, a loudness word thing, because I don't think that's uh, that kind of just, like, everything being compressed. It just sounds like garbage. They went for a
2: very unpleasant action. Like, it clearly seems to be intentional, given
1: that it opens and closes the track, but,
2: God, I hate it.
1: Uh, Anyhow, this song is about uh, the speaker being... You know, dumped by their girlfriend and decided to kill themselves. But doing it in a way that has so many, so many
2: drug metaphors.
3: Also, you're to blame.
2: Yeah. Not work at all. Mm, you know, I will give you, if this is the day of the breakup, that's the kind of thing you spit out.
3: I mean, by the time it gets to... Um a polished piece that you're putting out for sale on an album that's, like, going to chart, you're not just spitting things out the day of the breakup anymore.
2: Well, I also don't know if this is based on an actual breakup. Also, terrifying thought, what if this is the song the rapper said is still so personal to him?
3: Oh, mm, well, yeah. that, that's, that's real unfortunate.
1: This song is more, like, the Get Up Kids Fin in it. So, that, so that, that's a plus.
0: Mm-hmm. Wee 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 wee.
1: <sighs> Do we have anything else on this? No. Uh, no. We're speeding through this record. We are speed running zebra head
2: Half has very little to it other than critique from me. The hell that is my life sounds like a bad chip tune a lot of the time.
3: And this is the one that ha- has the uh, joke that I was talking about earlier uh, 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 about uh, penis insults getting people off.
2: <laughs> right. This is also the one that called my mom a whore.
3: Yes, it's. Yeah. Well, alright, she didn't insult his penis, but. Uh, you call me a selfish pig and something small turns into something big. I like directly read that as an innuendo.
2: Oh no, that's that's correct. You berate me, it gets me hard. You're yep. right.
1: Yeah, this is about a very dysfunctional relationship. I what of my notes is peoplemp 3 <laughs> uh. This is like the clearly like I hate my wife laugh track. Except
2: it's set to, Mom, the SNES is broken, we need a new one, because Kimmy kicked the thing last week, and now it's making funny noises. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't help that this is the second track that has a stapled on demo, and this one is a reggae track about Wookiees.
1: Oh, right. Yeah.
3: Oh, see, I got to this point in the album and just started skipping the ends, because I'm like...
1: (sighs) This...
2: This literally has a half-finished demo that is a reggae beat that's clearly just a play on the line from Star Wars about I'd rather kiss a Wookiee, just based on the lyrics you hear. It's very weird.
3: Oh yeah, listening to it now, it's very weird. So, I'm just gonna say that I liked the Broken chiptune tune kind of vibes that were going on, but then the lyrics of the song just... Hmm. Mostly, I think that, like, this dude just needs to maybe communicate a little bit more with his partners. Like, if that's what you're into, you gotta say something, not try and goad them into berating you, buddy. That's not healthy.
2: (laughs) You could also do the dishes
1: and get called out in the bedroom.
3: Yeah, there you see? There you go.
1: Uh, Also, musically, this song has a weird-ass, like, 80s metal, like, really cheesy solo in the middle of it.
3: I liked that part, too.
1: There aren't any other soul guitar solos in this record, but you have that one solo on this track, and it was very weird to me. The Hell That Is My Life
2: is probably the strangest track on the album in every single decision it makes. Yep. And then there's E-Generation. Mix, mix,
0: down
1: I don't know what this is about. Like, that that name, I, I was expecting like, oh, this is like 21st Century Digital Boy but by zebra Head, but it's not. I thought, based on the name, because I was
2: a club kid for years, that it's like, oh, this is going to be about E's or raves or whatever. And
1: it kind of goes there. Oh, E is for ecstasy, right. I thought E as in, like, you know... Email. Yeah. But... Then
2: it doesn't really go there, especially because it doesn't have any of the actual experience of anyone who was ever in that scene. So it's like, yeah, you know, uh, the disco ball and pharmaceuticals and there's a DJ. It sounds like a cranky grandpa trying to tell you war stories about the club scene who has never been.
3: It's like if I was old and tried to do that.
2: Yeah. This is like if my father was trying to describe what I had been doing when I was out all night. Oh, he he just called up the crew and had him meet him at another club. Tell him where the weed is. Papa Smurf got us on the E-list. Yeah, that's where my boy was last night.
3: <laughs> yes, Papa Smurf. <laughs> Noted weed smoker.
2: Um,
1: Papa Smurf definitely had a pipe.
3: <laughs> that is true.
1: Also, this is the song where the rapping sounds like Crazy Town. Crazy Town is a good
2: description for this. I thought this was what a sitcom from the era would do
1: if it was doing a DDR parody, this is what would come out of the TV. Uh, my note is like, Crazy Town plus Kid plus the Get Up Kids. Which I wouldn't, again, not a crafting recipe <laughs> I would have expected in this podcast, but here we are.
0: Yeah.
3: Can, can we, can we uh, respect our uh, components and try a different combination, please?
2: God help me if I respec this late in life.
1: Does anyone that's not me want to talk about the next track? Yes. I actually think Livin' Libido Loco is probably
2: one of my favorite tracks on this album. I found this extremely obnoxious, but go on. So, A, I had to look because I was going, wait, wait, Livin' Libido Loco was way earlier. No, it was only the year prior. So, okay, not as late as I thought. On the other hand, the lyrics are clear. This is mixed well. It's got distinct instrumentation and vocals. The vocals are the worst part because this is the singer who's about to leave, not the rapper. And he's kind of pitchy on the longer crooning. But this is just a Spanish guitar-driven ballad that's um, it's
1: not bad.
3: It's not bad, but it's also not good.
1: <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, again, um. Ironically doing, quote-unquote, ethnic music. I I found that shit obnoxious. I don't know how much I'd put
2: this as ironic.
1: The lyrics don't
2: really have a scoffing-at-it feel. I think this is one of the only tracks on the album that feels like someone's start-to-finish, I have an idea, I want to try this, let's see where it goes. Okay. Again, the worst thing I can feel about it is the vocals, the delivery's not amazing, but it's it's basically a sort of West Side Story with a catchy chorus about we can dance to the rhythm, we can dance to the mooring light on a sultry summer night. Yeah. I like it.
3: I mean, if I wanted to listen to a West Side Story thing, I'd go listen to a West Side Story. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, this track had horns on it, and I still don't love it, so that's... That's sad, but it's also I. It's not bad. It's just not good. And after listening to the entirety of this album already, I'm just kind of like, uh. so yeah. That's my take on it.
1: Let's go to the last track. Yeah, with Pitrande, there's a short album where there's not a lot to talk about.
2: In My Room is what closes this out, and it is not somehow a cover of the excellent Depeche Mode song. No, it is instead a track that I'm pretty sure I've heard somewhere before. Maybe it was in a movie? Or maybe it's extremely generic. It's possible, but I definitely recall some of the awful lines like, Feed me grapees in my
1: room. Oh. No, I think this track is fine. It's a good closer for the album.
3: Yes, the 11 minutes and 36 seconds of this song.
1: <laughs> I think that the specific track in my room is a good closer for the album. Yes. I think that everything that comes afterwards, I didn't listen because I, I thought the song was over, that the record was over. If this
2: ended with just the song in my room, yes, this would be a pretty good closer. This is, this is again, not a bad song. It's It's very middle of the road. As you said, it has a very generic feel, but...
1: It's an an energetic pop-punk song about your room and how cool it is to be in your room and not wanting to be at school. Which, I've been a teenager, I can relate. Totally. Maybe not to to all of parts of it, but yeah, fine. The problem is, on pretty
2: much every release of this, it has the most bonuses tacked on, and it is almost 12 minutes long for a three-minute song. Yep. Do you want to talk about the bonuses? Yes. Because directly after the song ends, it goes into one of the members of Real Big Fish playing didgeridoo solo. Very sad. And then, after a bunch of silence, Tabatatai does a prank call to another record label pretending to be one of the members of the band's mother.
3: Very, very sad.
2: (laughs) It's weird, and it's not entertaining.
1: I'm gonna say that any like prank call as a you know skit or bonus part in a record is always awful like I never heard one one of like there are surprisingly a lot amount of records who have just like as bonus track or as skits in between things they have prank calls they're never funny never they are never funny it might be funny to do a prank call that doesn't mean that someone listening to a prank call will feel humor and be amused by it.
3: Yeah, prank calls are something that you do with your group of buddies when you're in high school, and it's like, LOL, this is hilarious. But, like, it, it's not going to be funny for anybody else listening in.
2: <laughs> I will argue you can do a good prank call skit, but you need actual comedians doing both halves of it?
1: Yes. Okay. Okay.
2: And this is not that. This is clearly an actual message being left for what is allegedly a Sony Rick Records executive.
3: Yeah, it's again, it's not, it's it's not, not funny in a way that is particularly offensive. It's not funny in a way that's particularly bland, like oatmeal with raisins in it.
1: Yeah, no, it's just not funny. Probably
2: my favorite phone skit. Anything is something I learned about this past year because. This this album this episode is going to come out uh, late October, right? In the past few Octobers, the show Street Fight Radio has done a side show they called Shocktober. It covered a history of different shock jocks and related personalities, very in-depth dives. One of them was one Bubba the Love Sponge, who you might know for being part of the Hulk Hogan sex tape scandal and all that. He was in DNA. Bubba the Love Sponge is easily the person out of the first year of Shocktober the hosts hated the most because he was the single, laziest, lamest person to ever wear the mantle of shock jock that they covered. And they, the one they demonstrated this most with was how he could not even do a good prank call skit. And there's one bit that I continue to think of to this day and die laughing, which is he's doing a call where he's, you know, making fart sounds and diarrhea noises and, oh, no, I need help, help, calling it. But the person who picks up on the other end just goes, hello, this is Pharmacist. What? Yes. Oh. That's how completely phoned it, not... Hello, ex-pharmacy. Hello, I'm ex- Hello, this is pharmacist. (laughs) They're already funnier than the-
1: (laughs) That's so lazy and so hack. (laughs) That's- uh, Okay, so that sounds like it would be played for actual funnies in like you know a Tim and eric sketch or something about a bad shock jock but no yes that's real okay that's real and that's one of the
2: skits this guy put on his only comedy album collecting best of hits of his show
3: what is a shock jock
1: <laughs> it's a jock that deals two damage when you play it to any target i see Short version, they were basically
2: midday radio hosts who would be courting controversy to try and get you to listen. I see. Howard Stern, the like. Okay. Opie and Anthony. Yeah. It's kind of a dead format these days. There are a few who still perform, but nobody has really come up as a shock jock since.
3: Now that the radio has died and uh, podcasts have began sprouting from its rotting corpse.
2: Yeah, if you want the closest thing that I can think of to actual shock jocks, cumtown exists. <laughs> yeah, no, don't.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: I leave that up to the listeners whether or not they want it. I will say I'm not a listener, but I will also admit to laughing sometimes.
1: I'm gonna just say don't. Okay
3: feel like this is something that somebody has ch- tried to make me hear about before and then my brain erased it from my memory permanently so we can move
2: on good job adam's brain it's also just really funny to say the words come town with no
0: context
3: that is pretty funny
2: mm. <laughs> <laughs> come
0: on let the music's a rocket and he's ready to go because now the countdown has started and he's ready to blow he's got the dope sounds bumping there a stereo
2: That was Playmate of the Year from Zebrahead. Firmly middle of the road for me. I can't hate it, but it makes such weird
1: choices on every level that I don't... I can't say I like it. I think you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who can fully say, without any qualifier that they like this record with a capital L.
3: Yeah, no, this this album... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, is very oatmeal with raisins. Like, I don't like it, but theoretically I would still eat it if I needed to.
1: I will not eat this album because I don't think it's very nutrient to eat a CD or a digital file, but, uh, fine. I mean, it's got its daily dose
2: of statistics in the middle of the one song, <laughs> the breakdown. <sighs>
3: I did not need that in the middle of my Sunday.
1: I don't know, like mixing pop punk and rap sounds like a terrible idea. And it's not particularly good on this record. But it's interesting and I'll take interesting over, you know, Phoenix DX. Uh, This is fine. Again, yeah, it's in the middle. It's a 2.5 out of 5. It's not that good. Has some good choruses, a couple of decent tunes, some weird decisions all over, but I don't think it's terrible. The version of this album that I think
2: works is POD's breakout album because Subtract You, done correctly, is Youth of the Nation. Some of their radio hits are minus the incredibly Christian overtones basically what they're going for on the poppy songs on this. It's so weird. All of the mixing comes together better on POD stuff around this era, thematically and sonically, that I feel this is what they were going for and why they had to leave. They they had a loser leaves country match with POD and lost. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I I am sorry, but given their background, I think that they win in terms of being Sonically, because they were on Sonic. <sighs> no, this is, this, is, this is perfectly like it's not awful, it's not great, it's okay. Yeah, I tap water.
3: Yeah. Yep. Ready, steady,
0: Sonic natural disaster. I be I'm be tonight, mind, I don't need a
2: to guide me. According to our notes, we are not going to be talking about Zebrahead's later career, so here's the story of the band after we leave them. In late 2003, the final album with this original lineup, MFZB, short for Motherfucking Zebrahead Bitch, will release and close their Columbia Records contract. Future releases will fall under the Sony Music International label, which basically means Sony Music Japan based on where they are hitting the charts. They lean even further in on the Japan-only side of things when, as of this recording, their latest album is on Avex Entertainment and does not even have an international distributor. They put it out worldwide, but it is self-distributed in every other nation. In 2004, Justin Moriello leaves the group and founds I Hate Kate, later known as the Darling Thieves, after the actual Kate the band knew sues them. It was... It was someone's ex. Oh, dear. Amazing. He has since gone on to a solo career while the Darling Thieves are on hold. In the wake of his departure, a new co-vocalist needs to be found for Zebrahead, and this is where Maddie Lewis steps in, the other person who recorded on his world. He was the guitarist slash vocalist there. Again... That did happen, you can look up the credits, and at least one Zebrahead release features, quote, Zebrahead edition of his world. Oh my. The group starts changing its sound to a harder punk style here, and their history gets incredibly weird into the modern day, where they kind of become a gag act, doing things like the aforementioned cover of female vocalist pop songs Panty Raid, and later tracks that are just Kind of making fun of themselves all the time. As far as I can tell, nobody in Zebrahead is a criminal or a monster, and they continue to tour European festivals in Japan regularly with multiple other bands that we have and will cover, like MXPX, Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, etc. And as we said, they also covered Lark on Sales' uh, "Ready, Steady, Go."
3: And they lived happily ever after. The end.
2: They, they seem to. That last record I mentioned was last year, and they've been putting out a lot of things this year. They're one of the many bands who started doing quarantine streaming and other things for promotion.
3: Huh, good for them. Same song, different
0: chorus.
1: this was the episode you can find us on com, which is our website where all of our nice things are, yay you can send us an email at getoutofthetownpodcast at gmail.com write us if you're like a Zebrahead super fan and want to tell us about how Zebrahead is the better band ever made by human men but not Superman because that's Goldfinger yeah Hey. you can add us at dgoott podcast which is our twitter you can you know listen to us everywhere on itunes on spotify on google play on whatever um, on music b which is the music player that i use and that has its own podcast scraping functionality we're on there too please rate and review us it helps give us five stars it helps You can also give us other rating other than five stars, but given that we're making this podcast, we would very much like to have five stars. That's the perfect amount of stars. They fit in your hand. One for each finger. It's true, I could fit five stars in a hand. Next up is AFI. The Art of Drowning. Doesn't seem like a difficult art to master. I think I could drown pretty well if I was, you know, dropped in the ocean.
3: I mean... It's harder to master, because that would imply that you are capable of doing it many times.
1: Mm, That is fair.
2: Or you can aim to practice it and then miss at the last minute, which is how Guybrush Threepwood can hold his breath underwater for ten whole minutes. That's a multi-layered, terrible dad joke. You know? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Uh, I am excited about this next one, if not a bit hesitant, because... This is one of the records that gets listed as one of the top punk
1: albums of this
2: era on multiple charts.
1: Huh, interesting. Fascinating. I am just interested because AFI is one of the first band on our list with the, their whole like got like aesthetic that will become big as we move forward. So that's interesting. It's definitely, it would definitely be less bro-y than Zebrahead, hopefully.
2: This is definitely going to have some uh, October vibes, even if I think this one will come out a little after Halloween.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's still fall. Yeah. In places that aren't California, anyway.
1: <laughs> Anyhow, this is
2: our episode. Do you have something to plug, Fletch? You can find all of my myriad projects and disasters at hellscaper.com, or find me on Twitter, at
1: BustRider. Do you have anything to plug, Adam?
3: I do not have anything to plug. Nobody is allowed to find me on the internet.
1: And you can find me on ACC The Moon, and... I just want you to know that no matter
2: what you are told, this is not Ali's world. I don't get it. it was a joke about the singer of his world?
1: The Sonic track. Oh, okay. I get it now. You went off format there, but it's fine. I, I will accept this. Uh have a good night everyone.
2: Bye. Bye bye. What's on your mind?
3: Not like I've got the time to stick around. I'll catch my flight like a pop pop get out of this town. What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down.
0: Let's terrify. It's the spooky month.